It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. The the end of the episode that's when it technically ends hello and welcome to building the game a documentary podcast today is monday august 15th and you're listening to episode 533 as always i'm your host jason here today joined by adam vass designer and uh, owner of world champ game co uh, adam how's it going hey thanks for having me it's going well yeah it's awesome to have you here um you and i met a long, long time ago. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, through one of our former co-hosts, uh, Mr. Jason Katarski. And uh, yeah, because you've known Jason for like ever through the band scene and through the game stuff. And yeah, it's funny. We met um, because Jason also is a musician who is into games. So uh-huh. um, at the time I was in a band called Mush and when we made our demo, I had, was making a card game that came with the cassette tape and uh, our singer's other band was playing a show in town Then Jason went to see them. And uh, our singer, Eric said, Oh, like you play games. You should talk to my friend, Adam. And we live in the same town. And nice. it was a uh, too many coincidences to ignore, yeah, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, that's funny. Yeah, and then I met you through him. I think we met because maybe we both worked at his booth one time or something. Yeah, yeah. Someplace. I would go with I would go with Jason and and demo Green Couch stuff at mm-hmm. at Gen Con and Origins and stuff. Yeah, so I met you at one of those, and then uh, and then at Grand Con the one year I know you had your at least one year that I remember you had your own booth with World right. Champ. And uh, yeah, that was actually the only time I've tabled at a at a gaming convention as World Champ. Nice, nice. I know it's a, I know that's a pretty decent convention for that because it's it's pretty cost effective for a table and there's a decent amount right. of traffic. So right, awesome. And and you um, you specialize in designing, um, uh, and I mean this in a loving way, like uh, very weird stuff. Um, yes, <laughs> it's really interesting, uh, and it, it super caught my eye. I remember. I don't remember the name of either of these games, but they were like these um, handmade. Um, I guess it's like zine games. They were a solo thing where like one of them was kind of based on lost. Um, and um, I don't, I don't remember what they were called. And the other one was taking a walk in the woods and reflecting on things. And I just really was enamored uh, with that, that I still remember them despite the name uh, all these years <laughs> later. Right. Um, the latter is called the Timberland. I think it's out of print now because I made a hundred copies, but it involved like, hand cutting each page oh, yeah. because it, it folded in like an intricate weird way and it did yeah um yeah it was supposed to sort of you know be this physical reflection of your like characters understand like wandering you mm-hmm. know like you don't know what's around the next corner yep, yep. But, so like yeah the aspect ratio of the book would change as you changed pages it would go from landscape to portrait and yep, weird yep. folding so uh and that's like definitely how I cut my teeth making games is doing weird little art projects and DIY, mm-hmm. like crafty stuff. Um, but it's also very labor intensive and very uh, right, <laughs> like hard to sustain at any kind of scale. So, yeah. And that's I mean, that was one of the things that first popped up to me was I thought, gosh, this is like 
this is like, like you said, it's very labor intensive for something that you were selling at very, very good prices as well for the, yeah. you know, so I, I remember thinking like, this is, this is, I mean, it, I, you know, I know how much work making a, a prototype is, right? Except for yeah. a prototype can look like a prototype. And yours right. has to be like something that someone will buy and say, this looks like a product, not a prototype, yes. right? Um, so yeah, you must have, yeah, you must have done a lot of work for those, um, printing them and, and then hand assembling them. Yeah, I, I still do. It's definitely, I, I've been doing this now for um, five years mm-hmm. um, and I still definitely am doing a lot of DIY stuff. Um, just the sort of format and the shape of that has changed to sort of match the scale and match a bigger audience as I continue to make more involved projects. But it really has always been and probably always will be me in my dining room making stuff because that's what I always wanted to do from the start is this like punk ethos. Like I touched every game. (laughs) This is all me all through and through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, it really does feel like that. And um, yeah, and I, I just think there's something especially interesting and endearing about games like that, because you know that they weren't mass produced, they were hand assembled with care and, you know, with with intent and purpose. And I think that's, I think that's super cool. I mean, obviously, not every game can be that. And that's okay. Right. Um, yeah. But for the ones that are, I think that's dang cool. Yeah. Um, I, I also think I was noticing that too, when I would be at conventions and the scale of it is so much bigger than I'm used to. Mm-hmm. And to make that sort of parallel, what we were talking about with music earlier is like Gen Con is an arena concert, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm making stuff for like the basement shows. Um, <laughs> and it's not to say either one is better or different than the other, right, right. but they both are part of this larger ecosystem and that Mm -hmm, can make mm -hmm. like everyone happy and satisfied. Right. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, you can't like, you can't hand assemble enough small products like that for like a game to buy a $2,000 booth at Gen Con and have it be worth a while. Right. Um, Cause even if you sell out, like, right. I mean, like that's you, you spent probably the whole year prepping for that one event, you know? So um, yeah. Yeah. And yet I still see, I mean, I think there are a ton of crafty things at that you see at Gen Con still, and that's awesome. Um, but the crafty things you see there are either the priced high for, you know, I mean like artwork and stuff like that, that's priced high, uh, which there's nothing wrong with that. Um, or, or you see things that well handmade can be handmade in a mass produced way uh, and still be priced fairly high <laughs> to make that work. You know, you see a lot of, um, crafty wood stuff now that people are doing at Gen Con or yeah. 3D printed stuff. Um, and that's great. Like, I think it's awesome that all that stuff is happening. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's all a lot of work, right. And it's all balanced for like um, trying to make it work for a bigger convention like that. Whereas the smaller shows like Grand Con and stuff are a little, probably more inviting for that <laughs> because right. you don't have to have so many copies of everything, you know, um, and pay a, cro- a cost prohibitively uh, expensive um, booth. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I find too that even like I focus my sort of public attention in that way more on like a zine fest or an artist swap or stuff like that, where I might, I'm likely the only person making games, but mm-hmm. people have 
well, some people have cursory knowledge of games. Some people don't know what I'm making at all. Right. But I think we connect more on that crafty, artsy yep. kind of level than if I were to table at, at something like Gen Con and I'm not to knock anybody else, but I, like you said, I make weird stuff. I would say it's like kind of auteur esque. Uh-huh. And I know uh-huh. that that's not going to appeal to the hundreds of people who are there for fantasy games, you know, like I know right. I'm right. an outlier. And so I lean into that. I like that. And I like mm-hmm. existing in these like fringe spaces. And I yeah. think it benefits the work that I make too, because it sort of, one, it enhances my confidence to continue making weirder things and not have mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. abide by any ex- sort of external uh, appeasement. But then also, like, I meet other creators who are into weird stuff. We can collaborate and make further weird projects together. And it just brings that DIY community aspect to um, an industry that, you know, like you said, at scale is really hard to maintain some of that mm-hmm. uh, spirit. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's interesting, you know, you mentioned like doing pretty well at places where you may be the only person who's actually uh, got, you know, games for sale, but, you know, it's that type of vibe. One of the best places I ever tabled at with bringing my own games, um, and they were games like my Green Couch stuff, my stuff from Green Gamers Guild and some other things that I did the best ever was at a church bazaar where they were like selling crafts and stuff. Yeah, because I was literally the only person with that and it was all family friendly stuff. So like I I remember the people on the sides of me, they were selling like, you know, some sort of I don't know, like signs or something or jewelry or something. But it was the same thing that everyone else was selling. Right. Right. And like I saw how many more sales that I got than than both of them. And it was simply because I had something different, but they understood it. Right. They said, oh, well, you're here. It must be family friendly because that's the kind of stuff they have here. And and all of the artwork and everything is very appealing to being family friendly. And obviously anything, you know, Katarski publishes is going to be family friendly. That's kind of the point. So, um, so yeah. uh, And I did like super duper well. And the best was like at a place like that, the table was like 30 bucks. So (laughs) you sell like two games and you're like profit, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, And then you're just hanging out too. Like, yeah. Right. The spirit at those places is really positive usually. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was cool. Like I, um, I thought that was pretty neat. And so, yeah, I, I, I see that, that correlation there of sometimes being the outlier in the right place is good. Yeah. Right. You know, at a place like right. Gen Con, that could be tough, but at a place where you're with people who are expecting something different and crafty. Yeah. I think that that's, you know, I think that, uh, is a good, it's a good setting for sure. So how did you, um, like, how did you get into doing the game stuff? You know, you mentioned was the, was, was making the game for that cassette? Was that like your album or, or was that the first time you really did that? Um, it, that was probably my fourth game. Um, I started end of 2016. Um, so I guess to rewind further, uh, in 2015, I moved back to Grand Rapids from spending five years in Boston and, when I did that, I had really, I'd been gone for quite a while and I sort of was resetting my life, uh, mm-hmm, specifically mm-hmm. socially. So I was making new friends and finding a new community after being in my late 20s, which is like, you know, everyone knows making friends as an adult is just a different game. It's so um, hard, right? It's so hard. 
And I sort of just weaseled my way into the like sort of Grand Rapids nerdy community through the Vault of Midnight, the comic book store. Mm-hmm. Yep, and yep. Uh, they sell games as well. And they were doing a lot of events at the time um, where, you know, they would demo games and teach teach games to people who wanted access to them. And mm-hmm. uh, so through that, I was playing a lot of games. I was friends with the staff. So we would play games almost uh, as this almost for work right like see what games they want to stock right oh that's a and good so point. yeah yeah it's sort of this weird uh you know uh ten thousand hours uh advantage yeah. that i had of i yeah. got this access to the comic book store's game library and i could just mm-hmm. play everything um so i was like fully immersed at the time and this was mm-hmm. before yeah. i got into role playing and stuff this was all strategy gaming and uh from there i think i have a tendency this has always been how i work creatively of just having interest in something and then wanting to know how they work like dissecting them uh figuring out what i do and don't like about them in a more specific way and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah just kind of seeing how a clock ticks and that led me to wanting to make my own stuff uh i started doing some small board game strategy stuff and card games and uh, my other band, Law Dispute, which is my my main band, that's still uh, still mm-hmm. my career. Um, I made a card game for the band because at the time we were doing this like blind box merch subscription thing, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. rather than just do like t shirts and pins and stuff, we were I was trying to like innovate what band merch doesn't exist or like what can I do that's yeah surprising yeah. and shocking. So I um, actually the first game, first World Champ game was called Carter Harmonies. And it was a set list building game where we had cards for all the songs in the band's catalog. And then these other cards where we're like technical difficulties or like, here's an acoustic guitar. So you can play different songs with acoustic than electric. Mm And, Mm um, and it was very inspired by, uh, Urbion and Onirim and the, and the sort of, uh, Mm -hmm. I can't think of the publisher that makes those. I'm out of the game now, but, uh, those single like single player card placement strategy yep. games. Yep. Um, and I really loved those and uh, Carter harmonies was really fun to build. And I also was getting to access the band's audience and not have to rely on manufacturing a, a card game on my own out of pocket. Right. right. Um, so that was how I got started. And again, it was like strategy stuff and it would probably be another year after that until I got into um playing Dungeons and Dragons for the first time and mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. repeating this cycle of I like this why do I like this here's how right. I could do it better or to uh better suit my own needs and proclivities yep, yep. and then I got into making RPGs uh in 2017 and really hit the ground running there uh more than it, it just clicked with me and the, the way I think about play and the way I think about story and how i as a game designer interact with my players and stuff it just Mm -hmm. all kind of like made philosophical sense to me in a way that was different than how strategy games work and so yeah for the last five years i've just been doing that really emphatically and rabidly (laughs) that's awesome that's awesome that's a cool journey through you know um and i i love 
I love you looking at things and saying like, hey, what are things that other bands aren't doing, right? Like, I, I think that's a really cool way to find, you know, what they call that like blue ocean, right? Of like, no one else is doing it. Yeah. Like, how do I make something interesting that will hopefully click with people, you know? Um, and anytime I think you can take two things you're passionate about and push them together to try to do one new thing is awesome, right? Because it's like, hey, I like this. I like this. Let's do them both, right? Right, right. And yeah, it makes it exciting for you as a creator. And also, you know, you're creating a Venn diagram of the audiences too. Like yep, yep. people who maybe like the band and have don't play strategy games. And then I have people who like strategy games and maybe haven't heard the band. Mm-hmm. And ideally, you're then creating this bridge between the two. And hopefully some people hang out in the middle and like both things. Right, right, right. And you mentioned the band too. You uh, you were saying to me before we started recording that you know you were touring a lot with the band, and then 2020 happened, and so you've been mostly right. doing game stuff since then. But you're hopefully going back on tour here. You said, yeah, next month uh, in September our tour starts here in Grand Rapids, and I'll be gone for six weeks, and that's the first tour I'm doing since 2019. So yeah, yeah. Uh, which is exciting. It's a little nerve wracking for the first time because. I'm 34 now, but I've been touring since I was 19. And this is <laughs> wow. the only time in that 15 years that I've really ever had a break. <laughs> right, you know, right. Yeah, we, what a we way to have a for, break, right? <laughs> we, we tour for eight months a year uh-huh. for that length of time. And then now I've been home for three years. So this is like the first time I established roots and like got real comfy. And mm-hmm. it'll be different mm-hmm. to go back on the road after that. But I am looking forward to that. Right, right. Yeah, that's got to be. Especially, you know, I mean, I know just going like on vacation and stuff after missing a couple of years of that always feels weird. And that's for like a week yeah. or two. Like, <laughs> you're like six weeks, you know. Yeah. Different it's city a- every day, different everything, just like constantly. It, it feels like uh, every day is just this sort of dice roll of how am I going to feel? Where am I? What time do I right. wake up? Like everything is so random and sporadic right right do you um does the whole band live based out of grand rapids or no are you spread uh, around we're all spread out i'm actually the only person still in grand rapids um most of them grew up here but now that's where, yeah i would say that's where i know that's where you started right right um now it's extremely spread out like our drummer lives in australia uh because oh, i know snap wow yeah, yeah. B- bands started sort of touring again last year um and we we just couldn't because Australia's quarantine was still ongoing. Like they just had mm-hmm. different uh, COVID protocols and stuff. So, um, right. So you couldn't even get him back here. Right. Even if, <laughs> yeah, even if we wanted to, we weren't able. And then, yeah, everyone else lives in different States. We got a guy on the West coast, a guy on the East coast, like our manager is British. Um, everything is <laughs> extremely spread. That's awesome. So you just all gather in a big tour bus and, and head around. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so when you're on nice. tour, it doesn't really matter where your home is because you're not there. So right. it works. <laughs> it still true. works yeah, well. Yeah. Everybody can be far away from home and miss it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Going around. That's cool. That's cool. So how many shows do you do in, in six weeks? Uh, a lot. Let's see. Um, I'm just curious. Like, I, this isn't yeah. something I know a lot about. Typically, we have like two days off a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I know on this tour, I think we have... Uh, like one and a half days off a week, like uh, on average, um, because it's just longer. It's because it's our first one back that there's mm-hmm. just more ground to cover. So, right, right. yeah, uh, I guess there's 
30 something shows. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's, that's fantastic to make that good use of your time. Right. When right. you're, uh, <laughs> right. When you're six weeks, that's pretty great. And that covers quite a bit of the country or what, where does that focus? Yeah. On? It's a, it's a full U S tour and I think it, it dips into Toronto and Vancouver as well. So, cool. um, just, yeah, whole, the whole country in a, just over a month. Wow. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, this is this would be the thing that Katarski would have taught. Anything I know about this, I probably learned from Katarski. So, yeah. <laughs> but that was when he was younger. So, you know, <laughs> you're still doing it. Um, well, that's that is that is very cool. That's very cool. So, um, so I appreciate the style you talked about, where you you know you kind of get in, play a lot of games of whatever type you're interested in, and then just kind of learn how to you know break that down and deconstruct it and turn it back into rebuilding it into something that works better for you. Right. Um, like what do you find really inspiring about that process? You know, of like being able to take, for instance, let's talk about the role-playing side of things where you're able to take yeah. these ideas and just break them down um, and kind of like you, you know, said, deconstruct them into something and figure out like, what, what is your, like, do you have a process for that? Like, is it, it I'm guessing some of it is probably, it just happens without you, you know, unconsciously without you really, um, doing it in a specific way, but I, I'd love to hear what that's like for you. Yeah, I think it depends. It, it varies very widely depending on the project, but I would say the the number one thing in my process is just intaking me- media, specifically stories, right? So every movie I watch, every TV show I watch, there's always some passive part of me that's like just learning this is how a story is told well, or this... Mm-hmm is not effective or whatever because at the (laughs) end of the day role-playing games are to tell a story yep and uh so intaking media is my probably biggest aspect of my creativity with that i'm also intaking other role-playing games and whether that just be from reading the books or from actually playing them Mm -hmm, mm um and you know there's a big conversation in the role-playing community on whether or not it matters what system you're using or what game you're playing because again you have a group of friends who are probably on a similar wavelength and you're going to have a good time regardless mm-hmm. of how well the game works um, right, right, right because it just feels good to ha- play and to do anything with your friends mm-hmm. but i think the thing that i dissect really is the correlation or the connection between a game's themes and mm-hmm. its mechanics uh so like to use dungeons and dragons as an example again like that's a game where mechanically it's encouraging you to do combat and rewarding you with experience points that you can then use to do the character stuff mm-hmm. and i know plenty of players and i think i still see plenty of players who really only care about the character stuff and the yeah, combat yeah. is sort of just a means to an end. Right, right. And uh, because of that, that's a game that might like is not quite accomplishing their needs, right? It's mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. facilitating the character stuff, but you have to do something you don't want to do in in that sort of video game grindy kind of way. Like you need right, the XP right, right. to they move want the on to scenes, the... right? Yes. <laughs> and the other people want the want the just the the grindy stuff. Right. And there are plenty of people who'd want just to do tactical like combat 
scenarios yep. and stuff yep. in wargaming. And so I think, I, you know, I was about to say uh, that's a failure of the game. Obviously, that game has no risk of failure. Right, <laughs> uh, right, right, right. But that's why I don't really play it anymore. And I and a lot of the people I know don't really play it anymore because mm-hmm. you you take that next step. You you go from the three foot pool to the five foot pool and then further deeper, deeper into right, right, right. having your needs met by the system, like meeting halfway with what you want and what the game can offer you. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's, you know, uh, Dungeons and Dragons is this sort of you can do anything, but the mechanics push you towards a certain thing. And then there are other, other games where you really can do anything. And it's, it's sort of up to like a GURPS or something where it's mm-hmm. like so technical that you really can piecemeal together your exact desired experience, but it's going to take research. <laughs> it's going to take right, work right. on your ends to facilitate that. And then of course there's this whole spectrum of games in between of, uh, managing player expectation and facilitating the desired play experience. And I think the more I read, the more I play, the more I consider those relationships in other games really sharpens my blade as to how to make it work in my games. And again, I think my audience is me, you know, I think I have managed to find an audience of people who are like me, but -hmm. at the end of the day, I'm making games that I would want to play that work in the way that I think. And right, um, right. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot like board games where everybody will always tell you design what you want to play. Cause you're probably going to play it a lot. And also yeah. why not put out into the world, what you're interested in, in doing. That's what everyone else is doing too. <laughs> like, you know, right. Yeah. I think um, that's, that's how I carve my niche too. That's how I make psychedelic metal games because there aren't, there are some, but they're not mm-hmm. as widespread again as like traditional medieval fantasy. And I know somewhere there's some other weirdo metalhead who's wishing they could play uh, a game like one of mine, but they're stuck playing Pathfinder still. And right, right, right. They just don't know that how to get from from point A to point Z. Let's be honest. If they're playing Pathfinder, they're going to tell you all about how much they love Pathfinder <laughs> all the That's time. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a problem with Pathfinder, but people that play Pathfinder, there's a there's a Venn diagram between people that play Pathfinder and people that run marathons. And that center of the thing is they want to talk about it. It's um, very emphatic. <laughs> very emphatically professing how, how much they love it. So, uh, yeah. I've never played Pathfinder, but I've always been told that I would love it mostly i realize mostly my people that really love it but but because it does have some things it has fixed you know quote fixed for D D. right um and you know uh and i think that's great i just uh i haven't been into that type of role-playing games in in, in a long time just because it's when you have a family it's a lot to get together and it's a lot to figure oh yeah out, right yeah that's that's funny i'll mention now too given that like segue is um, such a major aspect of my design philosophy now is that I just don't want to sit for four hours on a given night and to to have a encounter. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Which may so be a lot of, one encounter if it's you know right. super technical. <laughs> if it's Pathfinder. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but so a lot of my games are specifically designed to be played in like ninety minutes to two hours, and like 
that's either a complete session because a lot of the stuff I like to make is is like one shot focused. Like I would rather watch a movie than eight episodes of TV. So right, right. Oh, see, I I'm want the, I'm the exact opposite. I would so yeah. rather watch eight episodes of TV than a movie. I and the thing that I talk about often with uh, my friend Will Yopes, who's we we design a lot of stuff together and we host a game design show called the Brain Trust Podcast. Um, mm-hmm. But a thing we talk about often is like having that Netflix, are you still watching button like uh-huh. in your game, like separating your story into chapters or separating it into these digestible segments. Yeah. Because yeah. this idea that, you know, we're going to get six people together and game for four hours that, you know, once a week, that's, that's a huge commitment. But mm-hmm. in that sort of binge watching way, if you could play a one hour game six times and that, Right. is a different feeling than the expectation to play one game for six hours. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. Yeah. And so, they could both still have the same depth and effect. Yeah. Yeah, um, totally. If done correctly, I think and depending on what you invest in it, you know? Um, yeah. I, I think that, I mean, I've played one shot games that have had a profound effect on me and I've played campaigns that have been duds. Um, but I've also played one shot games that have been duds and campaigns that have been like, amazing you know journeys to go on so yeah and i it's sort of difficult to reconcile like did the game do that did the people do that um Mm -hmm. like what is how do you capture this lightning in the bottle and i think you know right on some level that's every game we make every game we play we're trying to find a way to capture lightning in a bottle and you but it's not a perfect system no matter what you do yeah that, that is a really good point because that is like you're always looking to find that magic right to where like you you know when somebody plays it they're like whoa like i get this yeah. like this speaks to me in this way whether it's a board game or role playing game or card game it doesn't matter like it could be a video game you know it's just something that really grabs you and there's just that moment where you're like i get it like i absolutely get this i know what you're trying to say you know um do you have do you have any games strategy or role playing or otherwise that you played and you have that like profound moment right like do you have like i can specifically think of the almost every time i've ever played fiasco every story i've ever told in fiasco stays with me and they are all it it, it's wild how that game facilitates that those moments and those like interactions between characters of your story and like right i can pretty pretty explicitly remember almost every game i've ever played of it and i've played plenty Um, that's cool I love fiasco. It doesn't do that for me. Like I just really enjoy it because it's so ridiculous because, yeah. <laughs> because I like Fargo, right? Like I like that yeah. feeling of just like, we're really bad at crime. Let's do more crime. Um, <laughs> like just, uh, but I think the game that I will always remember that had a, the biggest effect on me was a one shot I played uh, of dread. Um, yeah. And uh, so I don't know if you played dread before or not, you know, but the one where you're pulling the Jenga blocks Right. And um, and the stress that you get of that, because at some point, at least at the in the version we were playing, if you toppled that Django block over, you were dead. Um, and like and it was this like crazy carnival setup and like and the even though it was a one shot, like the um, the GM, she had worked really closely with the people where she was like, here are the base characters. But like some of us came in with requests to like, can I alter this character in this way without telling anyone? And. And she was like, yeah, let's do that. And it turned out to be these just like amazing moments in the game. Right. And yeah. uh, 
And I will always remember like the people who played that game, like what we were doing, even though I've never seen any of those people since then. And that was the first time I met all of them, but I will always remember them. Uh, and that, and that super cool, you know, two hour, three hour journey we took together. Like it was just, right. it was amazing. I think too, I was just telling my partner about this this week. The first time I played Dungeons and Dragons, which was 3.5. So Pathfinder. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was I the pinnacle that... of D and D in my opinion was 3.5. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I got to have that moment. Like I was playing this very tactical game. It kind of felt like trying to win versus trying to learn about mm-hmm. I guess, the human condition. I guess this is kind of uh, right, right, right. what I think a lot of role playing for me is. Um, and there's a moment where we were like storming a pirate ship and we had done, gone through this whole combat scenario. And my character was like, had we had defeated the ship captain, but they were, so they were at zero HP, but the, the dungeon master like let me do what I wanted. Like we interrogated him and then was like, okay, what do you want to do? And I was like, I can just do anything. Like I can, like I, I don't have to just say like, oh, I hit him with my sword and then he's dead. Like I could literally say and do anything in this moment. And that I think was the specific instance where I was like, Oh, I understand why people play role playing games now. Right. Like, I can do something creative within the confines of this system. I can have this moment with my friends. I can have, uh, I can lean into sort of this like poetic aspect of Mm -hmm. the violence that's taking place here and like describe it in, in, in depth and whatever, you know, to an, to a reasonable extent. And Mm -hmm. that was, I, yeah. To, to thinking about it now and extrapolating this theory of like creating profound moments for players. Uh, that's the one that made me realize what all of this could do. And that's sort of the thing I'm trying to facilitate for players of my games ever since. Yeah, that's a, no, that, that is that, that, that really speaks to me. I get it. Um, yeah, that there is that feeling of like, you can do whatever. And, uh, and yeah, giving your players the agency to do that is really cool, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I grew up where it was like, you know, all the D&D quests we did were on rails. The DM knew exactly what they wanted to do. That's what we did. And and I started designing mine that way as well, where like, because that's what you did. You set up this yeah. specific scenario. And then, um, and then as I got older, we got more away from that. And it was very freeing to be like, okay, like, let's just go with this and see what happens. That right. Was, that was cool. And like you mentioned too, like that former style of play that on rails try to win is a totally valid style of play. And a lot of people really like it. Um, But yeah, I think especially for me as an artist and a creator, like it, it, it scratched that itch of Mm -hmm. play and uh, like intuitive sort of just creation. Right. Well, I think that, you know, saying that the on rails valid, it's valid to say it's just on rails try to win. I mean, it's valid uh, a lot. Le- I mean, uh, at least partly because it's it is it's like what board games are, right? I mean, that's what yeah, board games are. Right. <laughs> they have very hyper specific rules. You do those things, and someone wins, or everyone wins, or you know everybody loses, or whatever. Um. So yeah, and I think that that's you know that's that really tight correlation, and um, 
Yeah, and I think it's cool when role-playing games can get away from that. To me, that's the power of role-playing games. Yes. Is when you pull away from those hard and fast rules. Uh, again, if people want to play with that, great, good for them. But I like the idea of pulling away from that because it's very freeing, um, especially when you're used to designing board games and stuff. And mm-hmm. um, and that, so that was one of the things I wanted to to cover quick here, if that's okay with you, of like, so I am trying to design a couple of um, uh, what, what I envision them as is solo RPG experiences where like you uh, would sign up for it and then you'd get an email and it would, the email would give you a question or a scenario it would say, here's what's happening, right? This is the world you're in. Um, and here's a thing. And then you respond to it, type in a, a form or something, respond to it, submit it. And the next day you get, another email and for x number of days say 30 you get all these emails where you are being asked questions and told of scenarios that are happening and and you go through it and some days it might give you an answer back that you had and say hey like don't forget you felt this way on this day like how does this make you feel now and then in the end being able to present back to the person in one long form of here's the story that you told right right um and when I th- started thinking about this, like you were one of the first people that came to mind again because of those small experiences I'd had. And um, and I was like, but it'd be really cool if like you could just set it up so that they could buy it. And then it would just shoot them an email every day for X number of days. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so I will tell you more about it. But first, I kind of want to just throw that out there and see what your initial thoughts are on that sort of style of play. Yeah. Um. I'm not a super prolific solo gamer. I mm-hmm. have, I, my, the, Neither am big, I, for the record. <laughs> so the, this the is big, also uh, new to me. The big solo game, or like one of my first RPGs actually was a solo game called All We Love We Leave Behind. And it was about um, writing letters to somebody who never writes back. Like they go somewhere, you're writing mm-hmm. to them, you're talking about the goings on where you are and like what they're missing and you missing them and all that stuff. And uh, then it uses cards to sort of randomize stuff that's happening to you. And there's um, a t- like a real life time aspect. So the cards might tell you like, wait three days and then write your next letter. Oh, um, wow. That's cool. Which is, yeah. And then over the course of the game, you are passing real time because that's how mail works, right? Like that's how sending mm-hmm. letters yeah. would yep. work. Um, but also by the nature of reality, you're going to forget to write sometimes or Mm -hmm. that might, you might never come back to it. And that's like, that is part of the game. That's part of the themes of overcoming this grief, this loss, and eventually kind of pivoting your attention towards yourself and not framing your story through this lens of someone else. Um, Mm -hmm. and I've always thought that was kind of novel but i also recognize by again the nature of how busy people are that most people probably won't finish the real game experience and i liked that i could sort of account for that but it's mm-hmm. it's not a perfect system um right. i do really like the digital aspect that you're describing where because again like all we love is a zine it's a it's a small book um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have to reference the book. You have to have it out and around in like, Mm -hmm. um, but because we, our attentions are all uh, completely scattered over an infinite world. uh, Mm -hmm. 
having it in your inbox and having the more regular interaction with the game, or I guess rather the game interacting with you in a more regular interval will keep you invested in it in an interesting way. Um, I know uh, your friend and mine, Banana Chan, she did a similar thing a couple years ago. Um, It was the something sigil uh, and I played it for a little while and I, and I, yep. I know what you're uh, talking about. Yeah. 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 It, yep. It was really great. Cause it was like, again, this story told in segments that were each interactive, but they would come, it was like an advent calendar. Like it was right around the Christmas yep. season and you, yep. Yeah. I, I, I remember that. I, um, I think I bought it. I just don't think I ended up doing it because I'm just so bad about those things. Right. So, you um, know, I know, uh, Gian Shim, also made a, mm-hmm. a game that was sent in in segments like that and i did the same thing where i um, put them in a gmail folder and marked them as unread so that like i could have this experience on my own curated time rather than mm-hmm. like you know life right, right. happens life i i might have started with the best intentions on a thursday and the weekend hits and i don't have time to play or don't want to play and then suddenly right. i'm three days behind my story so yep, yep. um I save them and I compartmentalize them and I can interact with them on my own speed. But Mm -hmm. uh, I do really love the novel aspect of, you know, integrating that technology and integrating that sort of habit that is people using their email or people using technology in this sort of mundane way to facilitate story and interaction. And that's super cool. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And so I, I, the timing aspect was something that I was thinking about in like, ideally I would set it up for like some sort of Google forms or something to where like, when you filled it out and you click the response, you know, that you submitted it, then after X time, it would, it would send you the next one. Right. Yeah. That way it wasn't you to, to try and combat that getting behind. So maybe it's a 30 day experience that takes you 60 days to do. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that, right? That's cool too. Yeah. Um, and uh, the scenario I was thinking of, um, I, I had this. We were, I was thinking about traveling, and um, and it was called I Remember Home, and um, gosh, a couple of years ago, we um, I don't remember why, but we installed security cameras like outside of our house, just like those ring cameras. So you can right. like we had started with the doorbell. We liked the doorbell. So then we put them around the perimeter of our house, and it's just kind of cool because like you know. You can check on things when you're gone because you can see like um, you can see your driveway. You can see backyard. If there's like a storm or something, we can look to see a thing. But I was thinking about like a person who was stuck traveling and every day they would see something like they would look and see something like they'd get a notification or something. And and then they would be journaling about questions about what they saw and also, you know, um, kind of processing that experience of not being able to like know what's actually happening right inside it's just all about trying to process like the comings and goings of your loved ones um and yeah and i just felt like that was a really cool reflection because i think we've all had something where we've you know where we've lost something or you know we're gone and um i think in a social media age right like how many people you're friends with on facebook but who you don't actually talk to anymore, but you still see stuff from them and what's going on. And so like, I love the idea of capturing that in a unique way to make it super personal about like, this is you, you know, and this is what you're missing out on. And Oh, 
your kids are outside, they're swinging, you know, but you, you're not there. And, uh, um, yeah. So, so anyways, that's kind of the premise that I'm working with as kind of the first, I have some other ones that I have ideas for, but this one just felt very, um, I was really inspired by this when I had the thought it was when we were traveling somewhere and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it made me think of a game I played uh, a couple of years ago called Our Time on Earth by Alex Roberts. And uh, this, yeah, is, this is great. Alex rules. Um, yeah. But this is it's not a solo game. I I think. Well, I played two players. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was meant as two players. But mm-hmm. the idea is that your characters are beings from somewhere else, like aliens, effectively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're writing to one another um about your experience on earth and uh i played it with a friend a month like two or three months after quarantine started uh mm-hmm. and it was um I, w- I would say it's like tonally different than what you're describing because it was more of a optimism practice or like a mm-hmm. mindful yeah, kind yeah. of hopefulness of yeah. like good time for it, that it, right exactly that was like we needed to play this at this time and we did and it mm-hmm. didn't help and but you're writing from you know this fiction that you don't know humanity mm-hmm. or or like earth's practices and this is all new to you so and, and i was living in la at the time so like one day it would rain and so i would just write my uh email that day about like how strange it was that the this place was wet this dry place had become wet and like mm-hmm. um we would write back and forth about just how these little experiences how you know you'd go for your little covid mental health walk and you'd see something and you'd write about that and share it with someone and just how that affected our real life thought processes and like how mm-hmm. mindful it made both of us of these simple things that felt good in a time that felt really bad was really like right. powerful and profound. And I think in that same way, what you're describing this more kind of like hyper personal experience, uh, it is sort of a Rorschach test. I feel like this is true of a lot of solo games, right? It's That's like a really good. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you value as a, as a person and like you know you are you're obviously going to have detachment between you as a person and your character but with solo games i think specifically that uh mm-hmm. they are pretty they end up being pretty close because it's just you playing right and so Gosh, it, the yeah. game the game asks you what do you care about and then through writing the prompts and answering these questions you either learn what you care about because maybe it's not conscience for you or it is conscious and you get to enjoy or lament or just kind of wax poetic about those things that you do care about. And I think that mm-hmm. that to me is the sort of, again, is this sort of like artsy philosophical exploration of what a game is. I think a solo journaling game is asking you to look at yourself in that way. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you get yeah, the safety and... net of it being fiction. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. But yeah, I didn't even think about the the idea of like the Rorschach test. You're right. I mean, it really is you. Um, 
it really is you kind of shining a mirror on yourself and saying, like, what does this do to me? And it's, it's funny because that actually makes me the, the other, one of the other main ideas I wanted to pursue with this was, you know, we've been talking about, um, I don't know if you follow like, like a lot of sciencey stuff, but you know, the James Webb telescope has been taking these mm-hmm. like insanely cool pictures of the worlds, you know, out way beyond us, all these crazy things. And yeah. <laughs> and like, and somebody had said, like, I think that if there's like, you know, aliens, civilizations or something, we're, we're going to discover those within a certain amount of time. And I thought like the, the distances in space are so vast. And like they were, I'd read this thing. It was like, Oh, we've got a new weird signal, but it's probably natural, but it could be something. And I was like, like, what if, like, what if we got like a concrete symbol of signal, that symbol signal from like somewhere in the cosmos that was, you know, a thousand light years away. Right. Or even more like a million light years away. It doesn't matter. Right. Um, that proved that like there's something out there. Right. What would that do to your daily life? Like, like realistically, because like, we're never going to meet them because they're too far away. Right. I mean, it's like, it's like having like a pen pal that you can't actually, you know, communicate with. Right. Because they're too far away. You can't even say, Hey, we see you there. Um, Yeah. But like, what does it do to you personally? Right. Like, that's I mean, really interesting because I'm also thinking of, again of your like format, this timed communication thing. Mm-hmm. Because as you mentioned, we you wouldn't be able to have live signal, live con- conversation with something a thousand light years away. Because no, no, sound also travels like less fast than light. So right, even if you did you it could via be, light, like you still couldn't. I mean, it would just be ridiculous. So. Right. So saying you know like f- the first signal is like hello this is me and I'm here and like, it's just sort of innocuous introduction. And Mm -hmm. then you're kind of, it's, it's interesting because as a, uh, you're almost you as the game designer, then writing this journal, right? Like you're writing the journal of this fictional character, right? Right. Player is then getting them in chunks or segments. And again, can't necessarily react to them, but like they could be important, right? This is a, you know, day two is like, I'm, in hiding because a war has started on our planet or whatever. Like right, right, you're, right. you're experiencing the drama, the feelings of it without mm-hmm. being able to act upon it, but still being affected by it. in some way, this is like really what life is, right? Like we watch the right, news right. and we yeah, can't affect right? the news, but, right. but even less so can you affect it? Right. Like, because, right. Like, exactly. Like literally 0% unattainable. Chance. Yeah. Yeah. So it could be a, I, it definitely could be an interesting sort of like a- empathy exercise, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, or again, again, like that's sort of the perspective through which I'm looking at it. I'm sure that there's a more, more air quotes, fun way to, to approach it. Uh, right, right, right. And just like, oh man, this is sad. And it's going to make me sad. Um, but I did, you know, I did kind of want to use it to highlight, like, you know, what do you do about the things that are out of your control in life? Yeah. Um, I, there was another game I had worked on for a bit um, that was meant to be like a, a, a group game um, called Reports from Nowhere. That was the that was the tentative titles I was working on. And the idea was like something has happened and a bunch of people are stranded all around the world at these like research stations all by themselves. Right. And they're the only people who can communicate. And you're you're having to radio in to each other and communicate about like 
what's happening, what's going on with you. And like explaining your problems and things you need help with and realizing that the other people can't do anything to help you. All they can do is be there, be compassionate, have empathy for you, but they can't actually fix any of your problems. They don't have the skill sets. They don't have the ability to get to you. They can't send you anything. Um, and that kind of stuff just really, really like speaks to me because I think so many times in life we have things we deal with where we can't actually fix them or we, but we want to, right? Cause that's our yeah. first go-to is and game designers are notoriously bad about this. Like, give me a problem. I'm going to, I'm going to design my way out of it. Let's fix this. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, but you can't always fix it. And so I think being forced to kind of sit in that is a good experience for people. So, yeah. So yeah, so that's that's something else I, I had looked at for a bit, and I, I intend to get back to it at some point. I just haven't been able to. So, um. yeah, I think that's an interesting thing that uh, comes back to sort of my solo game philosophy in general too. Is like a lot of these experiences are challenging. Mm-hmm. And you have to be a particular kind of person to want that and to learn from that and to get, I, I, I guess I wouldn't say satisfaction, but like to get something meaningful out of it, you have to, mm-hmm. you get what you put into it. Absolutely. Absolutely. They, they can be like detrimental in a way too, you know, like that feeling of uh, not being able to, to help is I mean that's literally that's helplessness and that could like mm-hmm. playing a game that highlights that um has a sort of risk to it right um mm-hmm. a person has to be in like a certain mental state I think to be able to confront those themes which that's that's a fair point yeah I think yeah. it's true of again most role playing experiences and even some board game stuff like I remember that when I played the grizzled um that World War One yeah, I've not played it, but uh, I've heard about it. Yeah, it's not. Fu- I wouldn't say it's fun, but I think it's mm-hmm. an excellent game. And it was one of those experiences I had where I was like, "Oh, a game doesn't have to be fun to affect you." Right, right, um, right. In, in fact, if same... it's not fun, and I think it, it yeah. <laughs> has a better chance of really like having a real effect on you, right? Yeah, it made me. You know, that was a big eye opener for me in my game journey too. Of just like, I like a sad movie. And just because the movie made me feel sad doesn't mean it's not good. Like, right. Uh, right. Just being conscious of your intended emotional response is what makes something good. So like, mm-hmm. and with, with games often we're looking for fun. We're looking for a good time. This effectively like the popcorn movie, the comedy movie of, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of social interaction, but to have those sad movies and scary movies and other emotional responses in gaming one i think is extremely important for just being like a rounded person and having Mm -hmm. you know an emotional spectrum that is full but two is is scary as game designers especially like when i make something that's meant to be evocative or emotional i want to make sure my players are comfortable engaging with it and that it doesn't like scare them off or, or make them feel feelings they don't want to feel. So, um, right. right that's right. a really interesting and, and difficult, uh, aspect of, of especially solo game design where there's not someone that you can reach out to while you're playing because it's a solitaire experience. Right. 
that right, you want to right. make sure that those people are cared for and, and yeah, care, yeah, or, wanna, or taking care of themselves. Yeah. You don't want it to be super, just like a downer. Right. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, I think the idea to me is that at the end, they're going to feel that they've learned something or that they're, they're better off than when they started, even if it was, there was some sad stuff to get through. But plus right. I think you also have to remember that like, you know, if you want to have that dip in the middle where like it gets harder um, and maybe a little, and I, by that, I mean like harder to process, not like harder to mm-hmm. journal that part, but like that if you plan on having that uplifting ending, like you, you got to balance that because otherwise you run the risk that they just quit halfway yeah. through and they end yeah. on that down note and they don't get to like, in the end you get to go back home. Right. Like <laughs> to do whatever. Yeah, but you, right. You also don't want to yeah. say that up front and be like, don't worry. The, the yeah, stuff in the middle because, doesn't matter. Yeah. Cause at the end yeah, you, you lose win. Some of the gravitas of the whole thing, right. <laughs> if you know that it's going to like me, you know, Googling does the dog die in the movie right. before <laughs> I watch a movie. So, um, you know, uh, that I'm willing to do, but, uh, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. No, this is that, um, that's some good stuff to consider. I feel like around this. Um, but I, I find all this stuff really inspiring and, you know, I, I want to make games that um, people can interact with in different ways. Um, that doesn't, it's not that I want games not to be fun because I really do lean heavily right. on the side of like, I want it to be fun. But like when somebody's done with a game, if they said that was a positive experience, right. I'm glad I did that, but I wasn't like, Whoa, this is super fun. I'm okay with that, right? If it's yeah. engaging and in the end they feel like it was a worthwhile experience, then I think you've done your job. Um, Agreed. You know, whether or not it's, you know, quote, fun is is uh, is kind of different, you know? Yeah. yeah. There's, there's, of course, different types of fun. And I think I do have fun. I, I, you know, I guess I might not call it that, but like having those right. emotional responses and having those profound moments are satisfactory to me. They, they feel... Yeah. Yeah. feelings and that's that's my goal is to well, make it, the player feel something right right well and i think that you know i mean the whole point of games is to do an experience right i mean like that yeah. is games are an experience and you know we think of fun as defined like i'm having a good time it's fun but like that that doesn't have to be what fun is you know it yeah. really doesn't so um yeah awesome well, uh, before we go here, uh, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about, you actually have a game coming out today, the day the podcast yeah. is coming out here. Yeah. Um, uh, this and is, I wanted to talk about that a bit. This is my newest role-playing game. I've been working on it for uh, about a year and a half, which is quite a bit longer than I tend to yeah. do stuff. Um, it had been marinating in my mind for a long time, and I wasn't quite sure how to make it happen, but I have made it happen. Uh, it's called Cyber Metal 2012. It is a sort of retro future heavy metal cyberpunk role playing game. So it's mm-hmm. um, uh, it's the sort of 90s technology that we know of, like dial up Internet and dot matrix yeah. printers um, instead of this sort of cyberpunk promise of hover cars and yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's our lived experience of how bad technology actually can be uh, mixed with this science fiction cyberpunk aesthetic of we all have computers in our brains, but they're, you know, click wheel iPods with limited storage. Um, <laughs> I love and on, that. And uh, on top of all of that is also this sort of 
satanic panic heavy metal demons walk among us but they're just people like us and uh, right 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 so it's this very gonzo setting called pentagram city which is actually uh alternate history grand rapids there's like a few grand rapids easter eggs in there but um this Gosh, idea don't that don't tell anyone in grand rapids that right <laughs> it would be not cool with that yeah it's that was for me but um yeah you play in this this walled city it's an isolated city called pentagram city and you just survive um it's this sort of anarchist society with no government where everyone is just sort of expected to take care of themselves and because of that you have of course like power hungry warlords and weird mm -hmm. cults of sewer bugs and all this sort of wild out uh heavy metal psychedelia that you would want in such a world and if anyone's mm -hmm. familiar with any of the games i've made before it's very in line with that sort of gonzo attitude um, uh -huh. well, but cool. yeah it's a it's a gorgeous hardcover book i actually i wrote it i illustrated it i did every aspect of oh, this wow. game. yeah i'm looking at the pictures here yeah this is beautiful thank you it's all actually hand drawn with ink um because i thought this was like a joke for no one but myself but a cyberpunk game with no digital art was really funny to me. Yeah. Um, yep. So I got out the pens. I got my, my hands dirty and it's all ink drawings of, you know, rat corpses and weird cultists and all that stuff. Um, and with that, it, there's, I, I did an expansion zine of additional like character stuff. I did mm -hmm. an art book, which I've always wanted to do because I do so much art for my games that, this has right. a companion book called SSD that's all uh -huh. cyberpunk tattoo flash that's all hand painted. Nice. Um, yeah, it was a huge endeavor. I, I've worked on it for a very long time, and I'm so happy that people are getting it now. And uh, it comes out today, so you can get the the print edition at my website worldchamp.io, and the digital edition is at worldchampgameco.itch.io. Awesome! Awesome! Yeah, this looks beautiful. I'm Thank you. really, really impressed. This is cool. And yeah, year and a half. That I can see why you spent that much time on it. I mean uh, Yeah, a lot of it was just drawing every day yeah. and painting every yeah. day. Wow. Very, very cool. Um yeah, that is awesome. So I encourage everybody to check that out. Um and I appreciate you, Adam, coming on and hanging out and chatting. This was yeah, uh, thanks this for was having a really me. fun conversation. Yeah, I always love to sort of philosophize on what a game is and why we play them and why we make them so this was really fun for me awesome awesome me too well listeners i hope you enjoyed our conversation tonight uh, if you want to get in touch with us you can go to buildinggamepodcast.com there you can find a link to our discord and join that uh, you can also email us at buildinggamepodcast at gmail.com you can find us of course on the twitter at podcast ptg i am at ja slingerland adam is at wc game co that is wc g-a-m-e c-o uh, also the other places he said, um, like the, the dot IO, um, and then where can people are interested in law dispute? Where can people find, uh, what's the best place to find that music? Yeah. Uh, anywhere that you stream Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, the, um, law dispute is there. Our website is lawdispute.org, uh, L A D I S P U T E.org. And that's where you'll also see all the tour dates. So for the long stretch of time that i'll be on the road this year you can see right. you can follow right. along with my journey so how does that like because you do a lot of your own fulfillment and stuff right how does that work for when you uh 
and you go on yeah. tour and people so, buy your stuff. <laughs> I'm um, just curious. Sometimes I'll put up a notice that just says, hey, it's going to be late. Uh, sometimes I'll have someone do it for me. Uh, uh-huh. Since this tour is quite long and it's also right after Cyber Metal's released, I'm going to uh-huh. try to have some folks help me out and ship stuff. Awesome. But yeah, That's I do cool. just ship from my living room. So uh, right, right, it's, right. it's a struggle to manage to spin both of those plates. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, you're doing a lot. So, well, awesome. Well, thanks again for coming. Good luck on that tour. And thanks. Uh, appreciate having you. And listeners, uh, go ahead and please join us again next week. But until then, good night. Good night. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. The end of the episode, that's when it technically ends.